Amen. 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 That's right. Isn't it great to know that the Lord stepped down out of glory, loved us enough, be cursed, mocked, all without any sin in his life to be deserving of such, die in our place, and rise again. I'm telling you, it's, it's, uh, it's very humbling as we come to this moment of time, as we begin this journey to Bethlehem, and as we walk through these next few weeks. I pray that you'll be able to make it each and every week, um, and you'll join with us. It's, it's going to be a wonderful time. Listen, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. Just verses 6 and 7. And as we look at this, I want you to consider first, who is the Son given and what is His purpose? Who is the Son given and what is His purpose? It is our Lord Jesus Christ. The verse there in verse 6 looks at His humanity. In mounting upwards, it looks at the height of His divinity. The prophet conducts us to Bethlehem and its stable, to the desert and its hunger, to the well and its thirst, to the workshop and its daily toil, to the sea and its midnight storm, to the Gethsemane, and its bloody sweat, to Calvary, and its humiliating death. And all along that thorny path that stretched from the manger to the cross, for in announcing the birth and the coming of this son and child, he included in that announcement the noble purposes for which he was born. His work, his sufferings, his life, his death, all the grand ends for which the son was given and the child was born. If you will, stand with me and we'll read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So today, as we think about these two short prophetic verses, you know, the candle that was lit today is the hope candle. Or the prophecy candle. There's two different titles for this particular candle that was lit. So the Lord kind of... I, I looked at the scripture out of Ephesians, I believe it was 1-3, that was in the listing there that's quoted for the candle. But as I looked at that, I looked surrounding that, I said, Lord, please guide me where we need to be today. And as we think about who Christ was to be, was, and is to be, this from Isaiah tells us all about Christ. It tells us all about who He is. If you look earlier in Isaiah, it talks about Emmanuel, God with us. It gives us that first time look at the coming Messiah. I mean, there's plenty of other prophecies prior to this. But by name of Emmanuel, we see that first here. And then as Isaiah, through the, through the clarity and the giving and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he begins to explain to us the characteristics of Emmanuel that will be coming to us. 
And that's who he came to. Look there in the first, in uh, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. First and foremost, the prophetic statement is this. The, the son and the child is to us. He is to us. One commentator said this, To whom was he given? He was given to us. The son gave himself, but the father gave him. And there's no greater mistake than to, than to regard God as looking on at redemption as a mere spectator. To approve the sacrifice and applaud the actor. God's love was the root. Christ's death, the fruit. He was not a mere spectator. God saw all that was to happen. Don't get me wrong. He knows, he knows the past. He knows the future. He knows everything. He's sovereign. But at the same time, he is every day engaged in the activity of his people and of his creation. He, is, he didn't just sit out there and set the world to spinning and stepped away and said, all right, when it concludes, I'm, I'm ready to do something else. God is engaged in our lives. God's engaged in this world. And I hope you understand that by having a prayer life and a relationship with him. It's hard to have a relationship with someone who is distant and just watching and never, never speaking, never participating, never being engaged in the relationship. It'd be hard to have a relationship with that person, wouldn't it? It would be. Think about if you're, in, if you're married. I mean, that would be a very difficult relationship, you know. They're just sitting over in a corner and you're doing everything all the time. That's not how it works. God's very much engaged in how the world's happening today. For unto us, unto us. And what a beautiful picture of the fact that God would care for us so much that he would come for us. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. This covers both, both of, the, the, uh, the, of who Christ is, his humanity and his deity or his divinity, however you want to phrase that. For unto us, a child is born. We know that when a child is born into a family, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. A marriage changes things to begin with. When Christ instituted the church and the bride, his bride, it changed everything. But then when that child, when that child comes into the picture, it changes everything. For unto us, a child is born. Christ came into this world. It changes everything. And Mary, obviously, it changed everything about Mary's life. Everything about her life was changed. No longer can we be selfish when there's a child involved, right? If it is, it makes for a very difficult life, right? So many times we have to set our lives aside for the child. What a beautiful picture of what we've got to do for Christ. We've got to set our lives to the side because the child has come. Christ has come. We surrender our lives. We confess Him as Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised us from the dead. We're saved. Our lives are changed. Unto us, a child is born. The same commentator goes on to say this statement, for unto us a son is given, relates to the divine nature of Christ. This is the Son of God. Capital S, as our Bibles record that. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was in heaven at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know the scripture goes on to say the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. And God spoke, Logos. 
And the word we know in John 1, 1, and down there in John 1, 12, I believe it is, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Godhead Trinity was there in the beginning, and the Son is given unto us. No longer is He just at the right hand of the Father. He is at the, in the manger in Bethlehem. So that He may walk the earth that you and I walk. May live the life without sin. So that we may have a perfect example of what it means to obey Christ, to obey the Father. Unto us a Son is given. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. This... This is a, a huge statement. There were a lot of governments in that day. Many, many, many governments that were ruling all across uh, this, this globe, this planet. But the scripture tells us the government will be upon his shoulder. And this is not in the New Testament. You know, this is not when Rome was ruling over Israel. This is a totally different time. But God in his prophetic Sovereign abilities has given Isaiah this vision of Christ. This vision of the Messiah. And he says the government's going to be on his shoulder. Now granted, that's not going to be the government at that time because we know he came humbly. I mean, he rode in on a donkey. When Christ comes back, when the government gets placed on his shoulders, ultimately, he's going to be riding on a white horse. He's going to be coming through the clouds. And he is going to be taking names, buddy. I'm telling you, it's, it's, he's going to, be, it's going to be bad for those that don't know him. It's going to be wonderful for those who have professed him as Lord and Savior. He's going to be coming through the clouds and the government will be upon his shoulder. He, will be, he is born for kingly office and with kingly power. And this quote, really, it really struck me as I was reading this. For one who shrinks from Christ through dislike of the cross. For one who shrinks from Christ through dislike of the cross, there are hundreds who shrink from him through dislike of the throne. The hard sentence to flesh and blood is not the world's iniquity was laid upon his head, but the world's government is laid upon his shoulder. Christ is king and he reigns, whether to reward the loyal or to punish the rebellious. That's what Meville says. When we think about this today, Oh, it's, it's real convenient for us to have someone that we could put all our sins on. Oh, yeah, let's, let's put all our sins on him. That's, that's nice and convenient for me. I don't really have to do a whole lot for that. Let's let him, let's let him handle that part of it. Oh, the government's going to be on his shoulders? He has the right and the authority and the power to judge me for what I've done? Not just take my iniquity? Oh, no, hold on, pump the brakes here. I don't know if I want that in my life. I want to be the authority in my life. I want the government to be on my shoulders. I want to dictate what's just. I want to dictate what's right. Are we not in a society today that says that? Yeah. Everybody wants the government to be on their shoulders. This is, this is intolerant. This is that. This is, this, is, this is not acceptable to me. How about to Christ? Is it acceptable to Christ? People are going to find out when he breaks through those clouds. Listen, these governments are going to fall. We talked about this in, in uh, Haggai. I thought it's pretty interesting how, you know, as we concluded there, how we talked about he's going to shake the nations. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to shake the Gentile kingdoms. You know how he's going to do it? 
Right there. The government will not be on those Gentile kingdom's shoulders no more. They ain't going to get that chance to say, I've got authority. Because when the authority comes, everything's going to crumble. It's going to fall because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. And that's because the government will be on His shoulder. And He will rule and reign justly. There will be no gray areas. You are either with the king or you are against the king. But you know, a lot of people can get real scared about that. Real scared. And as, as should be. Some people really should be frightened by that. But I want to tell you though, God doesn't leave us as believers in a frightened state. Because what does he tell us about his character? What does he tell us about, our character, about his character, not our character? What, is, what does the prophecy tell us about his character? Look there in verse 6. It says he's going to be wonderful. He's going to be wonderful. You know, we think about something, we think about, we think about something that's wonderful. Usually we think about something that's completed in grace. Oh, that's wonderful. You finished high school. That's wonderful. You finished college. It's wonderful. You got married. Oh, that's wonderful. You've got a child. That's wonderful. Something is completed in grace. We think it's wonderful. When we think about when, who Christ is, he is wonderful. And all these other things pale in comparison to how wonderful Christ truly is. How many of you have thought, oh, Jesus is so wonderful. He's so wonderful. He saved me. He redeemed me. He left His throne in glory. He, he walked this earth in, in poverty and in pity, but yet He rose and He lived without sin. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And He's not just wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor. All these others, there's, there's two different expressions. There's four names given, and each of these names consists of two elements, one of which focuses on the Son's divine nature. Everyone, wonderful, counselor, mighty, God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when we think about Christ, this is the first title which the prophetic herald assigns to the newborn Prince. He's wonderful. From, from this wonderful babe, you had shepherds who left their flocks. Or either God, through his awesome power, caused those flocks to follow the shepherds. I don't know. But we know the shepherds came. They saw the star because the angels told them about it. They said, let's go find this wonderful thing that we've heard about. And everybody acts like there's a bunch of sheep falling behind them. I don't know if they did or not. Those shepherds took out. Now, I know God led a bunch of animals onto an ark. I think God can make some sheep follow the shepherds. But nonetheless, they came to find that baby. They said, this is wonderful. How amazing is this? That what the angels said are, is true. And then they went back and told everybody. How awesome is that? That's wonderful. We've got wise men. And, you know, if you've ever seen uh, the nativity story, You've got, you've got the wise guy, the wise guys, the, the, 
the, the astrologers, and they're, and they're all looking at, and they're saying, there's supposed to be this star to meet at some point, and underneath this star is where the, the Christ child, the Messiah is to come, and they start their journey a long way out, and it's, it's kind of comical. They've got some funny stuff to it, but at the same time, it's, it's very memorable. We know that, that there's no definitive that there's three of them. We just know there's three gifts. I mean, it was, it was a host of folks that came into the town. Why else would, would Herod be like, what in the world's happening here? You know, if three guys came in, you might be like, well, there's something funny going on. They got some family coming in. Maybe, you know. But when you see what those guys, those guys are coming in, and I mean, they're bringing gifts. They're, they've got their people that carry all their stuff for them. It was a big deal. That's the reason why he knew they were coming into town. They're like, what's this big thing we hear happening outside of town? There's some wise men coming in. Listen, something's happening. So God has brought them in. He, it's, it's wonderful when we think about Christ's birth. It's wonderful. And you know what's, what's wonderful is this also, in thinking about his birth. Now, granted, this is talking about his reign. Really, it's talking more about his reign, not just about his birth. Of course, we can see all these wonderful things in his birth, right? But this is really talking about his reign. Not even really while he's on the earth. Not the first time, anyway. This is really talking about when he returns. It's, Warren Wearsby says, there will be nothing dull about his reign. There'll be nothing dull about Christ's reign. It's going to be wonderful. I mean, many of you think about wonderful. You think about rainbows and unicorns. Oh, that's wonderful. You know? I mean, oh, it's wonderful. I got a new pony. You know, we got, we got all these different gifts. We think that's wonderful. When I was a kid, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to date myself for just a moment. When I was a kid, I loved watching G.I. Joe, okay? How many of you in your 40s out here, late 30s, 40s? You know what I'm talking about. You watched G.I. Joe as a kid in uh Listen, there was this big aircraft carrier. Okay, it was called the USS Flag. This joker was like, I think it was eight feet long. It's either six or eight feet long. When you put it together, I wake up on Christmas morning, Daddy done put together the USS Flag. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I was, I was excited. Oh my goodness. Daddy said, after today, it's going in the basement. <laughs> because it was so big, it extended from the dining room into the hallway and almost down the steps to the basement. And he said, it's got to go. I can't step over that every morning. Daddy had to be at work at like 6 or 5 a.m. And he didn't want to be tripping over it. So I played in the dank, dark basement on that USS flag. It was wonderful. But anyway, we think about all these things that are wonderful, you know. But Christ is so much more. So much more. And we've only seen basically the tip of the iceberg. You know, we talk about the dash between our birth and our death. I mean, can you imagine? Jesus only lived 33 years. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for eternity in heaven with him? Wonderful. Wonderful. It's going to be amazing. And to see him rule without any sin and conflict with his sovereign will, man, it's going to be wonderful. Wonderful. It says he's wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor. And, and when we think about that, this, this wonderful counselor is literally a wonder of a counselor. And counselors were important in the royal courts at that time. And the office of counselor was well known to the people then. And the example is Ahithophel. He was the famous counselor of David in David's court in 2 Samuel 16, 23. He's a wonderful counselor. And he will be able to rule his, through wisdom. He'll be able to rule 
justly. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. When we look at the word mighty, it means those who are valiant in battle. That word is gabor in the original language. He is mighty and valiant in battle. And it goes on to say that this emphasizes the son's deity and strength. And he has power to execute wise plans. He is a mighty God. It makes me think about that song. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. You know, and then it goes up a pitch and I'm not going to do that. But anyway, what a mighty God we serve. He, is, he, he came humbly. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Listen, he, 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 he ain't going to be riding on a donkey when the time comes for all these characteristics to really be revealed. He's going to be riding in on a white horse, and anybody rides on a white horse ain't expecting to get dirty, right? They expect him to, to take things under control and handle it. And that's what he's going to do. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting Father now, some people might be confused. They might say, wait a minute now, this is the Son. How is the Son an everlasting Father? Well, this is better, it's better interpreted to mean Father of Eternity. And I read through several commentaries. That's the only reason why I can say that. Several different commentators said that the literal Hebrew is Father of Eternity. And it has been understood in different ways, especially since Father has a great range of meaning. The Hebrew expression could mean possessor or originator of eternity. And that's what I was talking about earlier there in Genesis, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Holy Spirit dwelt. The Holy Spirit uh, hovered over the deep, and God spoke, and it was. And we know that in Christ, all things hold together. We learned that in Colossians chapter 1. Everything was made by him, through him, for him, and are held together by him. So he is the everlasting Father. You know, not everyone, unfortunately, has experienced a good earthly father. Not everybody has. I'm grateful to say that I have. You know, I joke about dad saying those things. I mean, he's a good father. He stayed up all night long. I'm sure it took him all night long to put that thing together. How many of you fathers have... Anyway, I'm not going to say that right now. That might be bad. Um, uh, we got kids in the room. I better not say anything like that. But, but you stayed up at night and you, you've done some stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, to prepare for a special day. Um, but, but anyway, we, we, we <laughs> uh, man, you, you don't want to spoil things for folks, do we? No, we don't. No, we don't. Anyway, um, he, he's an everlasting father. But not everyone has experienced a, a good fa earthly father. And um, the view, a lot of people view God the Father through their earthly experience. They view God the Father through their earthly experience. But we must experience our Heavenly Father through a biblical experience through His Word. Now, there are people today, and, and listen, their fathers are not good. They're just not. They haven't taken time with them. They haven't cared for them. They haven't supplied for them. They haven't done as God has called us fathers to do. But I'm going to tell you something. If, if we'll focus our eyes on Christ... If we'll look to the Father, we can see one who is faithful, who has supplied us. The Bible tells us he'll meet all of our needs. A lot of times we get wants and needs confused, but he'll meet every one of our needs because he's a good father. 
And so I, I pray today that if, if you've never seen him through that lens, that you will. You'll see him through that everlasting father, through the biblical experience from his word. I'm going to finish here with, with this last. I'm just going to preach verse 6. I'll, I'll hold off on verse 7. The verse 6 concludes with, with this last one, the Prince of Peace. Now, Christ came to bring peace to troubled consciences. He did. But I want you to understand this too. Christ, we, we get a little confused about this title of Prince of Peace. Because Jesus tells us something different. And some people will say, well, then that's, you know, those things are conflictual. Because Jesus says in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 34 and 39, he says, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. And you may say, well, that don't sound like a fulfillment of the prophecy. Slow down. You got to read all of what Jesus says. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to divide man from father, daughter from mother, daughter-in-law versus mother-in-law. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Loves son or daughter is not worthy of me and does not take up their cross and follow me. They're not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen. The peace that God, that Christ gives is not a peace initially. Okay, hear me out. I've said this before in other sermons. The peace that Christ initially gives us is not between us and our relatives or our family. The peace that Christ comes to bring is a peace between us and the Father. Because if we never have peace with the Father, we're never going to have peace at all. Because we're going to be on a path to hell. We've got to have peace with the Father. And that's the reason why we do evangelism. It's the reason why we have a ministry of reconciliation, as the Scripture tells us. It's to reconcile people back to the Father so that we may have peace. Now, we're going to have peace of spirit, peace of soul, peace of heart, if you will, when we have a relationship with Christ because I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear death anymore. If I don't have Christ, you better fear death. But if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't have to fear death. One day, God's going to call me home. I don't know how he's going to do it. I pray it's quick, however it happens. But whenever that time that the Lord calls me home, listen, I ain't fearing it. I ain't fearing it. You know why? Because I've got the Prince of Peace. I've got the Prince of Peace. And where he may have cut me off from my sinful past, and he's cut away my sin nature. And he's cut away the opportunities that I've had because he's sanctified me. He's cut those things away from me. I've got a relationship with the Lord. And I know that I could come boldly before the throne because Christ hung humbly on the cross. So I got peace. I've got peace. I hope today that you have peace with the Lord. I hope that you have given your life to Jesus Christ. There's no greater day than today. You should not put it off. The Bible tells us we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We do not know the day or the hour. So I encourage you, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ by confessing Him as Lord, as Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10, 
and believing in your heart that God raised us up from the dead, I pray that you'll do that. And if you will, you'll be saved.